0: The Mini Break, your day podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, January 11th. It's going to be another two mini break podcast day for all of you listeners as we continue both our coverage of everything happening on court this week, as well as get to previewing the year's first major. That's right. The 2024 Australian Open, it starts next week. And I was so excited to kick off our preview coverage with our our dear friend David Kane on this show yesterday, he and I discussed our top 10 power rankings entering the women's singles event. I plan on doing the same exercise, only focusing on the men's singles event later today with our dear friend Chris Otto. So be on the lookout for that podcast to drop later this afternoon. After today though, and moving forward, all of our Australian Open preview content, it's gonna be housed over on the Great Shot podcast feed. So if you haven't already, made Make sure you are subscribed to that podcast wherever it is you listen to your shows. I'll have things like draw previews, conversations about the dark horses, conversations about the Americans as well, entering next week Australian Open over on that Great Shot podcast feed. So again, after today, all of our Australian Open preview coverage going to be moving to the Great Shot podcast feed. We'll still have mini breaks for you every day, only it's going to focus on the action we see unfolding on court, and that, of course is going to be the focus of our first episode today, as there were some results over the last 24 hours, excuse me, that certainly feel worth noting. You've got another loaded draw at the 500-level event in Adelaide, and certainly one of, if not the most impressive performances I saw over the last 24 hours belonged to Yelena Ostapenko. Oh, my God. Goodness, was she excellent against Marta Kostyuk in a 7 5 6 3 victory? Kostyuk showed me a lot to be excited about moving forward into 2024 as well. But sincerely, Ostapenko's level right now it might be the best of her career. And on yesterday's show with David Kane, I made the case for why she belongs as a tier two contender, a top six player entering the Australian Open. In my mind, if you want to hear me make that case with more depth, go check out yesterday's show. But certainly, I want to reinforce that case here today in discussing her win over Kostjuk. Obviously, we had the big upset. Elena Rybakina's six-match win streak snapped by Ekaterina Alexandrova. It was just one of those days for ECAT. I'll get into what I mean by that, then break down again the other quarterfinal results we had on the women's side in Adelaide. I will say, if Ostapenko's not your most impressive performer on the day, the winner of that award belongs to Jack Draper, who's in, obviously, action on the men's side of things in Adelaide and pulled off your upset of the day, knocking off top seed Tommy Paul in straight sets. The 22-year-old just has the goods. There are no ifs, ands, or buts about it, and I'll get into some statistics I looked up regarding Draper since the start of 2022, proof in my mind reinforcing the concept he has been a top 25 player when healthy, that's the big key, is can he stay healthy for the duration of the season if he can? There's no doubt in my mind he ends the year as a top 25 player, and again, I am going to take that opportunity to go on a bit of a tangent, because there is some really good 22 and under talent right now. Obviously, on the women's side, I talk about that all the time. Iga, Coco, Noskova, Fruvertovas, etc. You can go through that list. Chin Wen. But man, the men's side's got a nice crew forming as well. Obviously, you know the headliners. Sinner, Alcaraz, Runa. Musetti's been in the top 25 for a while now as well. But the depth just continues to build out with guys like Jack Draper, Arthur Fee into a semifinal in Auckland, Ben Shelton into a semifinal in Auckland, Seppi Korda might be 23 now, but certainly floats around that group, and he's into a semifinal this week in Adelaide as well. There's just a really good young group of rising players on the men's side that, dare I say, like again, if you are a Zverev, if you are a Tsitsipas, a Rublev, a Rude, you you feel some pressure on that slam title window because these young players are really good and I think they're going to be competing at the highest level events in the final rounds of those events, maybe as soon as this Australian Open. And again, there are only 16 spots in the round of 16, only eight spots in the quarterfinals. It only gets more narrow after that. and. These young guys might be boxing out some of these more veteran players as soon as 2024. So let's talk about who looked good today on both the men's and women's side. I know I haven't mentioned the Hobart action yet for the women, but obviously I saw Evan Navarro make back-to-back semifinals. I have seen how good Elisa Mertens looks this week. We're going to get into all of that here on today's show. Of course, before we do, a thank you to all of you listeners who tuned in day in, day out. Again, we are off to our hottest start from a numbers perspective on this show than we have ever been to start any year, and I appreciate all of you listeners who have stuck with us over the seasons. Obviously, we've got some new stuff planned for 2024. We're really excited to unveil, including the fact that these episodes are going to be available on YouTube in video form moving forward. That's right. You can see my smiling face stutter through all of these episodes. You can watch me read the stats as I podcast to, perhaps again, Dispel the myth that I'm memorizing all of these things. No, it really helps to have a computer open as you do these episodes Anyways, more video content is the call from the higher-ups here at Crack Rackets and by that I mean me, my, uh, me myself, and I know myself, Dalton off. want to do more video stuff, want to make this a YouTube-friendly podcast, renovate the Crack Rackets studio, and have some fun, spice up our content here in 2024. So if you haven't already, go subscribe to our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. We're going to start putting those up as soon as the start of this Australian Open. So we will be on video. Perhaps that's something all of you listeners will enjoy. I know my mom's going to enjoy seeing my smiling face, and I'm sure she will have some outfit Recommendations there, I say, requirements. If you've seen season two of "Breakpoint," she's my Ana Karuna in the best way possible. You're not going to see the cigarette and the philosophical contemplations from her in terms of that regards, but, you know, again, that's who I turn to for the advice on the important things in my life. And I suppose wardrobe selection in terms of making the pivot to video, that qualifies for the list. I know I'm going to get a text after this. Like, oh, I've got I've got suggestions for you. Are we hitting the mall? What are we doing, Alex? Are, am I coming down to Indy? Uh, because say the word. No, I'm loaded up. I'm ready to go. I'm excited to make the pivot to video. Again, Crack Rackets YouTube channel. Make sure you are subscribed. Also, a reminder, I know I already said it, Go subscribe to the Great Shot podcast feed for more Australian Open preview content after today. Also, shout out to our friends at Tennis Point, tennis The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products at the best prices in the tennis world. All right, let's talk about the results that feel worth noting from the past 24 hours in the tennis world. Let's start with Adelaide. I'll start on the women's side of things. Ostapenko is playing the best tennis of her career. I've been beating this drum for six months. The Ostapenko drum, the Grigor Dimitrov drum, the Arthur Fee is going to be a top 10 player sooner than rather than later drum. I feel like I've been on this Draper beat for a while. Again, not that many of these are novel concepts, but... Just look at the wins. Look at the win percentage. Look at who she's been 42 and 23 since the start of last season, Yelena Ostapenko. In 2017, when she won the French Open, she went 45 and 21 overall that year. Okay, she's got two more losses and three less wins. She uh, had no slam title to it, but she beat Svantec in the U.S. Open. She beat Coco Gauff in Australia last year. A couple of slam quarterfinals under her resume. And, you know, you look over the last two years that she's made four different tour level finals as well. Two different titles like... I think the 26-year-old's playing the best ball of her career. Certainly watching her play, it feels far more complete. And more than anything, it's been the success on serve here to start 2023. Again, it's a small sample size of matches. She's holding 78.2% of the time. If she sustains that for this whole season, that will be 15% above her career average as of right now and would topple her career high, which she set last season, by about 10%. It would also make her a top five server, and she's pretty consistently a top 15 returner by break percentage amongst top 50 players. That's ridiculous. Like, and you can see it manifest itself in that match yesterday against Kostyuk. She just constantly had Marta Kostyuk on her back foot. Played elite, controlling, take the racket out of your hand, Serena Williams, Power Tennis, Country Club Tennis. Her house is lit up right now. She's hanging out at the club to start this 2024 season. And just the way she can bunt down on forehands when they're shoulder high, the, her ability to drive the backhand down the line at will when, again, that ball gets up at her shoulder height and she can kind of swing down on it, how comfortable she is playing the swinging volley to take time and space away from you and beat you to the spot. And again, Marta Kostyuk played elite defensive tennis yesterday. Marta Kostyuk also showed some plus one pop, dare I say, throughout the course of this match, and, you know, again, they traded breaks down the stretch of that first set, Ostapenko did have up, did have the opportunity, let's get that sentence out of my mouth, did have the opportunity to serve for the opening set 5-3, Kosciuk gets the break back, maybe it was even 5-4 she was serving for it, but Ostapenko does immediately break back, again, close out that first set 7-5, a decisive down-the-line winner to end that opening set, and... You know, again, her ability to come over to the backhand return has never been in question. Her ability to slap a forehand down the line has never been in question. But Marta Kostyuk got her stretched into the outer thirds. Marta Kostyuk again, so quick. One of those few players who's so comfortable sliding in and out of shots in any corner of the court. It's just elite athleticism, elite fluidity. I'm starting to see some more pop in everything she's doing as well, on the serve, on the first forehand, getting into that plus one playbook more decisively so that she doesn't have to so frequently rely on her athleticism. Obviously, she was staring down the barrel of the gun that is the Yelena Ostapenko weaponry throughout the course of this match. And again, responded about as well as you could ask, forced Ostapenko to have to hit four winners per match, not just the standard one or two. She's accustomed to hitting, but Ostapenko was there in all those moments when she got stretched to the outer third, her combination of anticipation. I'm telling you, a quicker first step to start this season. She is moving extraordinarily well. And again, we've seen her beat Iga at the last slam. And I'm not saying she's going to do that again. And certainly I'm not saying she can beat Iga, Sabalenka, Rabakinagov, two, maybe three of those four players if she'll have to. I haven't looked closely enough at the draw yet to know off the top of my head where Yelena Ostapenko sits within it. But I'll tell you what. I want no part of Yelena Ostapenko if she is hot coming into the later stages of the event because she's playing elite power tennis and she can just take the racket out of your hand. She's going to force you to play on her terms. It's a really good victory for her over Marta Kostyuk and sets up a really fun matchup between her and Ekaterina Alexandrova. where, look, she's going to be the favorite. Like, she should be the favorite with – her level of late but for what it's worth ecat five and three in the career head-to-head and it's just having one of those weeks as Ekaterina Alexandrova is prone to doing and we saw this from her last season right whether it was going into uh the grass uh throughout the course excuse me of the grass court season where she makes the final in Den Bosch semi-finals in Berlin during that stretch beats Kudermatova Samsonova Goff and Kudermatova again in a four-match stretch um Kourmetova, though, withdrawing from the second one feels worth noting. Makes the fourth round of Wimbledon there. Uh, then finals of Cleveland as well. It was fun to see her in person. Again, her line drive tennis. Yes, the margins are thin, and that's why sometimes the results can run hot or cold because if she's off by half an inch on any given day, she's just going to be dipping that forehand, backhand drive into the net more frequently. She was not doing that against Robachna last night. A 3-3 three and three victory for her where She was up decisively in both sets. Like, that scoreline is very misleading because, again, Rabakina up, I think it was 4-love in set number one, certainly was up 5-1, I believe, in the final set before. Credit to Rabakina, excuse me, Alexandrova was up 4-love and 5-1 in those two sets. And credit to Rabakina, who then started to creep her way back. She was up love 40 in Alexandrova's 5-3 service game in that second set. And it felt like, oh man, if she breaks here, the dam has been broken. She started to land her forehand a little bit more consistently, though credit to Alexandrova, played with great pace, great depth into that Rubakina forehand wing. Um, the person who needs to watch that film from last night is Arena Sabalenka and say, oh, okay. That's an interesting playbook. I think I could pull off that sort of game plan because I swear there was just more depth into the forehand wing. She didn't want to mess with that Rabacina backhand if she could have if, you know, again, other than when the shot, uh the, the rally absolutely called to go to that wing. Gutted it out down the end. Again, 5-3, love 40. Staring down the barrel of that comeback from Robacina, who was entering with a six-match win streak. Alexandrova able to pull the, able to pull the match out. Despite, by the way making just 56.9% of her first serves, Alexandra, and winning just 32% of her second serve points. Still 3-3 three and three result for Alexandrova. Honestly, this loss is a blessing for Rybakken, and now she gets half a week to relax before the Australian Open gets rocking and rolling, and obviously, again, she's the reigning finalist there. I do think we're at a point now where she enters every slam as a Tier 1 contender. To win the freaking title, that's how high that top level can be. Obviously, we saw that last week in our win over Sabalinka. I got no concerns coming off of this loss. Ekaterina Alexandrova just had one of those days at the office, which, again, she is prone to doing from time to time. Again, 5-3 is the career head-to-head. She leads Ostapenko. I'm excited for that semifinal in Adelaide. Excited for the bottom half semifinal as well. Credit to Jessica Pagula. Anastasia Pavlchenkova was swinging. And I will say, as a carryover from yesterday, it's another match where Jessica Pagula was on her back foot a lot. That's been the theme to why she's been pushed, I think, so closely in all the matches she's played this year and why her only victory, uh, comfortable victory came over an Isla Tomjanovic, who lacks the weaponry of her other opponents. Again, Pavs wins that first set 7-6. JPEG grinds it out 6-7, 7-5, 6-4. More than anything, I don't think she's playing her best tennis. It's just, again... The plus one shot, it's just not landing with the same gravitas and, dare I say, action on it that it was last year. It just feels like everything's a little bit lighter entering the box. Everything's landing a little shorter in the court right now. She's moving very well. She's fit as a fiddle. Just not swinging that freely. And yet, again, able to grind her way through a very free-swinging Anastasia Pavlichenkova. It's a good semifinal result for Pagula, her 10th over the last 52 weeks. I mean, again, Tur, her, Sabalenka, Shviantek, the double-digit club in terms of semifinals, or if you want an actual count according to our friends at Tennis Abstract, Sviantek 12, Sabalenka 10, Pagula now 10. That's the double-digit semifinal club. Again, I had her tier two below the top four entering this Australian Open, but a tier two player is a player who I am very certain is going to at the very least, you know, hold seat, be in the mix to do so. Quarterfinals are better, and it takes just – it takes elite power tennis. If you can't play or sustain elite power tennis for two plus hours, you still ain't beating Jessica Pegula. And if nothing else, that characteristic, uh, obviously something to have confidence in entering the Australian Open. But look, she's going to have to play decisive, aggressive tennis tomorrow. She's taking on Daria Kasatkina. She's 2-0 in that head-to-head. Obviously she hits the ball bigger. Like she should be the aggressor in this match. Yes, Kasakina redirects pace so well, gets you stretched into angles, but Pagula's a great mover. Like there's it's gonna be really hard for Kasakina to hurt Pagula in this match. Pagula gonna have opportunities to tee off on the return of serve. This is a litmus test level match for Pagula. This is the one I wanna see her get through like three and three, and or just a never in doubt straight set match because she hasn't had one of those over a a high-quality opponent yet this season. Obviously, it would be nice to get one heading into Australia. That's why she's probably playing this week in Adelaide. And regardless, you know, again, she gets through this. Then you get a real power tennis test, whether it's Alexandrova, Ostapenko in the final. This is perfect for Jessica Pagula. It's set up really well for her to continue to test herself because, again, she's never a player I worry about. Will she be fit enough with all these match? Matches on her body entering the Australian Open. The answer for that for Jessica Pegula is always a yes. So again, yeah, that's a fun set of Adelaide uh, Adelaide semifinals. Excuse me, Alexandrova versus Ostapenko. Ostapenko 63% favorite according to Tennis Abstract, but Alexandrova 5-3 in the career head-to-head. Pegula 2-0 in the career head-to-head with Casasquena. A 71.4% favorite. She's also a 52.9% favorite to win the event according to the Tennis Abstract singles forecast. That's the women's side of things in Adelaide. On the men's Again, maybe your most impressive performance of the day belonged to Jack Draper. Oh my goodness, was the 22-year-old Brit exceptional, exceptional yesterday in a 1-4 win over Tommy Paul. He was up double break before that match, felt like it had even begun, like 10, 12 minutes in. He just was on top of Tommy, on top of the baseline, on top of everything Tommy was hitting at him. And it was just... I mean, again, it was ridiculous level of tennis. Like, I don't think I saw him miss a forehand down the line when he wanted to change direction and slap it with pace throughout the entirety of this match. And obviously, that is best epitomized by the -the on-the-run forehand passing shot he hits by Tommy off of a really good Tommy approach uh, on match point to clinch things. But he had hit a very similar one cross court a game prior, and three games before that, another runner down the line winner just on a pass and on the other side of the court. And it, It's not only that, it was that it felt like Tommy couldn't hurt him even when he was trying to turn through his forehand cross. Draper's just so solid on that backhand wing, able to drive through it so easily. The harder the ball comes at him, it feels like the harder it comes back. He's able to redirect and change directions with that line, uh, with that side wing down the line as well. Again if you try to get it too handsy to his forehand side he's going to pass you, uh, he's going to slap one by it down the line he's more than comfortable playing with plus 1 pace moving in behind it was dominant on serve in this match as well as Jack Draper not only fighting off the one break point that he faced but despite making just 51% of his first serves he won 91 92% excuse me of those first serve points I mean it's just this match was never in doubt like he just worked the top 15 player in the world and was better at everything. Had the bigger weapons, was as fit, was as consistent, was as good moving forward. Jack Draper's a top 25 player in the world. And I think you look at his stats over the last two years or year and a half now, it's kind of two and a half a year, two years and a month, excuse me, it kind of proves that fact out. You look for Jack Draper uh, since the start of the 2022 season. Jack Draper now 83 and 34 overall. It's a 71% win percentage, 83 and 34 overall. You want to filter out all the challenger success, fine. By the way, he's 42 and 8 at the challenger level. That's ridiculous. 41 and 26 overall in ATP Tour matches. During that 41 and 26 record, he's made seven different ATP Tour matches. Uh, two or quarterfinals are better. He's reached at least one quarterfinal on all four surfaces, indoor, outdoor, hard courts, clay, grass courts. It's eight and 11 versus top 20 opponents as well. Yeah, that's under 500, but eight top 20 wins since the start of 2022. That's certainly a top 25 number, I would imagine, amongst players out there. He's 22 years old, and he's already had this sort of run to begin his career. Again, the biggest issue for him has been health. It hasn't been his level or his Uh, His level when he's been healthy or any bouts of inconsistency in tour level play. No, this is the guy who he he is when he's out there on court competing. And I mean, again, it just feels like he has taken things to another level to start this season into the semifinals here in Adelaide, 1-4 over Tommy Paul. And honestly, I mean, again, this one I do know because I saw this on Twitter a bunch of times. That's a potential second-round rematch in Melbourne. And if you're Tommy, you you got to figure something out because nothing was really working. The forehand cross, just, it didn't penetrate. Like He just didn't have success penetrating the court with that wing, with that shot in particular. Draper was always there. Now, Draper had one of those elite days with his forehand down the line, kind of like Altmaier with the backhand line against Felix. You do expect some regression maybe back towards the mean from Draper on that shot. But fine, he won't make seven down the line running forehand winners. He'll make three of them. He only makes three of them, you know, even if he regresses by 50% there. It was a one-in-four result. It was very decisive. Jack Draper faced one break point in this match. Tommy's got to figure something out because that's, again, I I would expect them to go head-to-head once again in the second round of Melbourne. And I'm going to watch the film more closely In anticipation of that being a second round, offer you a better preview of that perhaps on the Great Shot podcast feed where our Australian Open preview content will be once we approach that match and the Australian Open actually gets underway. But again, it's a massive win for Draper into the semifinals. And with this result, he's back up to number 60 now in the live rankings. And again, just back in the mix to play what he wants to play moving forward. And if he gets into the draw... He, he's a threat to make the quarterfinals or better, I think, in any event he plays right now. Like, I, I really do think his level is that high. It's a really good victory for him. And now he gets the funkiness. All things Sasha Bublik, who fights off a match point on his way to a 6-3, 6-7, 7-5 victory. Now, let's be clear. That match point came on his own serve. He fights it off with a serve, plus one overhead combination, Musetti then serves for the matchup, 5-4 in the third, but plays a really loose service game, hands three unforced errors to Bublik, and just like that, they're back on serve. Bublik taking things away from there. Musetti missing the easiest of sitters at 5-6 deuce to set up the Bublik match point, then misses a plus-one ball uh, on the forehand wing to ultimately cede the break and the match to Sasha Bublik. Bublik's been steady. He looks as fit as ever to start the year. And again, we know what the level can be from the 26-year-old. He's into the semifinals here now of this event. You look for him overall. It's his fourth semifinal in the last 52 weeks. Obviously, you look for him in his career. This is a guy who, in terms of tour-level semifinals, now has made 14 different tour-level semifinals in his career. 14 different tour-level semifinals. I think all 14 have been at the 250 level. That's kind of crazy. I I would ask all of you listeners, and you can double-check me, maybe Hollow's a 500, so maybe one of them's been at the 500 level. But for a guy with this many tour-level semifinals to have, what, you look for him at the Grand Slams, has he ever even made a round of 16? He's made one, 2023 Wimbledon. That's it. I mean, again, obviously, you never know what Bublik you're going to get, let alone any given week in any given match. But we know how high the level can be. 14 tour-level semifinals is a top 50 player. It's how he's managed to sustain his ranking in the top 50 for so long. Because you know at least once a year, you're going to get a Bublik week where he does what he's done here. He's up to 26 in the live rankings, one spot off his career high. Again, a guy you just don't want to play because you're just going to be so uncomfortable. That's why it's a fascinating test for Draper. 1-1's the career head head there. Draper a 64.8% favorite in that match. He's now set 38.4% favorite to win the title. Favored over Seppi Korda, who's into another semifinal. I know I've, I've said this stat repeatedly, but outside of a disappointing early loss at the U.S. Open, seppi has been really good. Since the end of August, and you want the record specifically, I'll give it for you. Since the start of Winston-Salem, which is when he made his first semifinal in this run of events, it's 15-7 and seven overall, he's made the semifinals or further now in 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 of his last 9 events. Semifinals or further in 5 of 9 ain't too shabby, or 5 of his last 8 events, excuse me. That ain't, that, that's even better. Uh, No. Yeah, five of his last eight. That's even better. Like, that's a ridiculous run of success for Seppi Kord. And where have those events come? Again, Winston-Salem, fine. That was a an easier draw, beating gaske Fucevic, Bonzi. Zhuhai, Echeverri, Muller. Again, not the most impressive. Astana, he beats Greek Spore, Medvedevic, who was playing so well to end the season. Obviously, Shanghai, the headliner. He beats Medvedev, Shelton, Sarundolo, now here in Adelaide, wins over O'Connell, Sinago. He's who he's supposed to beat, and he's had a consistent run. Maybe that's the most... Uh, The biggest part here. He's played eight events since the end of August. Like, it's about as many as you can have played during this stretch of time. Again, has kept up his top 30 ranking and obviously has a bunch of points to defend quarterfinals in Australia last year. Coming up next week, but this is a good run for him to at least put some points on the board. And then after this, again, there's a lot of injuries plaguing him early last year. So he's really got nothing to defend. So to have salvaged even a top 40 ranking, regardless of what happens in Australia, just means he's going to get into Indian Wells, get into Miami, get into whatever he needs to get into, whatever he wants to play over the course of the next few months. And that's what allows you to build your ranking, make another top twenty push. So really good results for Korda, even if again the level of competition hasn't been the highest thus far. Hasn't uh didn't get broken in his four and four victory over Chris O'Connell. Next up, he's got obviously a big plus one test in Yuri Lahechka. Lahechka, a four and five victory over Nicholas Yari. The thing that was so striking to me, and by the way, Lahechka again, another guy with serious points to defend at the Australian Open, as I noted yesterday. He was moving as about as well as I have seen Lehetchka move and again in getting into the semifinals here of this event, Yuri Lehetchka now into his third tour level semifinal over the course of the last fifty two weeks. You look obviously for him in his career, those are three of the four tour level semifinals that he has made his first coming in Rotterdam at the start of twenty twenty two. Guy's twenty two years old, slowly but surely peaking playing his best tennis, and again, his serve, his forehand, they're just real weapons that are going to give lesser players trouble always, but that he's starting to look a little bit more fluid, that he's more comfortable playing through that backhand wing from defensive positioning. Again, how he develops plans B, C, and D, because I know what plan A is for Yuri Lechetschka. That's going to define his ceiling moving forward. It's a really good result for him. And again, that's a fun set of semifinals in Adelaide. Draper versus Bublik, Korda versus Lechetschka. If you'd like big hitting, that's the place for you. Draper, Korda, each favored respectively to win their matches. Draper the favorite right now to capture the title. That's your action in Adelaide. Going to go through these last two here more quickly. You look at the action in Hobart. Uh, Again, Elisa Mertens is playing lights out tennis to start the season. We kind of saw this from her at the end of the year. Obviously, she wins that title in Monastir, then ends her season. So you include that. What? She has now won five plus three is eight, nine of her last 10 matches. Not too shabby if you're Elisa Mertens, who, again, still just 28 years old, like I'm a month older than Lisa Mertens. I don't feel old. I still feel like I'm in my athletic prime. Certainly think she could be as well. She's moving. out. Has she had the biggest test, Colin Shmidova, or Aronksa Rus? No, but she hasn't dropped the set. Five in love victory over Aronksa Rus, where she went up a break right away to start the match. Now, Roos ultimately got that break back. But again, Mertens able to clean things up at the end of set number one, really pull away from there in set number two. She's moving so well. She's hitting down on her backhand and through the court with it so well. The forehand, yeah, can still sit short when pressured by pace, but I think there's better depth on that. I think she's got some serious pop on her serve. I didn't realize that Lisa Mertens had that in her bag of tricks. Mertens is playing really solid tennis. Again, do I think she's going to make it past the fourth round? Probably not, because she'll run into someone with weapons who can expose her forehand, but... If you don't have a big weapon like that that you can hit consistently over the course of two hours physically, she is just going to wear you down. Really nice tennis from her to make the semifinals. She's got a matchup now with wildcard Daria Seville, who, of course, coming off of injury. Great to see her back in a tour-level semifinal. She's up 43 spots as a result, back up to number 152 in the live rankings. She's just been excellent these last two days. Wins over Sonia Kennan. Then yesterday, she knocks out third-seated Juleen, 3-6, 6-1, 6-4. Again, a massive result. Uh, for the wild card, who, of course, we will see in the main draw of the Australian Open. Mertens 4-2 in the career head-to-head. But Daria is going to get to play more on her front foot than she had these last two matches. She's shown extraordinarily movement, particularly coming off of the knee injury that she's is. But it's going to be interesting. Again, what does she do to ma- make life easy for herself against Elisa Mertens? Because she's not going to be able to wear Mertens down the way perhaps she did with her defense uh, against in these last two matches, respectively. On the other side of the draw, how about you? Are you on the qualify Are you on you? Just the qualifier is having a career week and t- continues to ascend to a new career high in the rankings, 25 years old, up to a new career high, 61 as a result. I believe this is her first tour level semifinal of her career. And she had a ton of success at the 100K and ITF levels last year. No, excuse me. She made a final in Seoul as well. So second career tour level semifinal I mean, again, five and six. She just grinded down. Yulia Putenceva, she was in that fight. That match was as gritty as that scoreline would suggest. But again, it's just a springy ball off of her racket. A big opportunity for her now. She's going to take on Emma Navarro. Now, for what it's worth, this is a back-to-back semifinal for Emma Navarro, who continues to ascend the rankings. She's up to a new career high again of 30 right now in the live rankings and just continues to rack up with this. I think this is her fifth or sixth tour-level semifinal of her career, and she's been at this now for 18, 19 months total to already rack up that many tour-level semifinals, and even if it's her fourth or fifth, like, again, by making back-to-back tour-level semifinals to start the year, that's like four, That no, that's probably six or seven ITF events now that she doesn't have to worry about defending points from later in the season because she's already racked up enough points here to start the year it's a remarkable run. Again, she she doesn't have the flashy Ben Shelton results of slam quarterfinal, slam semifinal. Everything she's done has been ITF's 100k's, 125k's coming through qualies and now finally being seeded at these events, making semifinals at the tour level. She she belongs in the top 35. Again, has played north of 90 matches since the start of last year and has just built up that resume, built up that match toughness, moving so well uh Tomova, ultimately worn down by the physicality of Navarro. 4-6, 6-3, 6-2 win for the American, who is just as good as she needs to be. Again, one shot better than you in every rally that she plays. It's a really fun set of semifinals. Navarro taking on Yuan Yua Mertens versus Daria Seville. Navarro, the 65% favorite, 2-0 in the career head-to-head. Mertens, the 71.1% favorite, 4-2 uh, excuse me, in the career head-to-head. Mertens, 43.4% favorite right now, according to Tennis Abstract, to win. In the event. Last but not least, let's talk about the ATP action in Auckland. Two of those young guys I mentioned earlier reaching the semifinals in Ben Shelton, Arthur Fee. Look for Ben Shelton. Straight set victory, 4-3 over Roberto Carbez by a a Match that was never really in doubt for the young American who, by the way, in reaching this semifinal, just his third tour-level semifinal of his career. Obviously, each of those have come in his last six events, seven events. I think if I get the math right, there it is, yes. U.S. Open, Tokyo now of course here in Auckland as well and again it's a big thing for Ben Shelton. I don't want to overlook this week because, yes, we've seen him have the highlight reel results at a couple of majors, but again, week-in, week-out success at the tour level, that's something Ben is still chasing. And no, he hasn't faced any top 50 guys this week, but two straight-set victories over Carbeas Baena and Marazan. He's broken once in each match. I think that's particularly important to note because it means he needed more than just two breaks of serve to win each of these matches, which, again, he does in regulation time. No tiebreakers necessary. He's been pretty dominant on serve as well, winning over 74% of his first serve points in each of the matches that he's played, over 51% in second serve points about against Carbeas Baena yesterday. It has been notable that both Carbeas Baena, Marazan, within the course of rallies, they're trying to pick on that Ben Shelton forehand. That is the side, when pressured by pace, more likely to break down within the course of a rally than his backhand wing. At the same time, you're you're messing with fire, you know, again, because when Ben Shelton has Time on that forehand wing, so unpredictable, whether it's inside in, inside out, down the line, cross court. He's probably most dangerous when he is in that inside out or inside in position, hitting deuce side forehands for the lefty. I mean, again, when he's hitting that ball, he can be dominant. He is so explosive, he does move so well. That first step, immense. There's a lot to like about the 21-year-old moving forward. That is hardly a revelation, but again, just his third tour-level semifinal of his career. This is a guy who is 28 and 25 over his last 52 weeks. Again, he was 26 and 25 entering the event. He needs this tour-level success. Just needs to be racking up victories, continuing to build confidence in his game style, in his development. That you know he is on the right course. It's a good bounce back for him, particularly after the tough three-set loss to Safulin in Brisbane to kick off his season. But again, that was top 25 tennis across the board. So I think Ben's brought a, a higher level to start this season than he had last year. Obviously, do I think he'll replicate the Australian Open quarterfinal run? Depends on how the draw shakes out. Again, I don't have a familiar enough... Knowledge. We'll go with that word. That's not the right word given the context of the sentence. But I'm not familiar enough with the draws mechanics quite yet to say off the top of my head. I know he's got RBA in round number one. I think that's a match he should win in his first Australian Open match. Obviously, from there, we'll see where the 16th seed goes. But first, he's got to get through Auckland. And again, he's not a guy I'm worried about. Fitness, freshness coming into the Australian Open despite him playing each of the first two weeks of the season. He's got a very winnable match over Taro Daniel and obviously a big result for Daniel in re- reaching the semifinals of this event. He started the week at number 74 in the rankings, Daniel, with this result now up to number 64, tying his career high. Not a a shabby spot to be for the 30-year-old who, of course, in reaching uh, this semifinal here this week in Auckland into the semifinals for the first time in the last 52 weeks at the tour level. You look for him in his career. This is tour-level semifinal number four overall, his first since April 2021. So again, big result for the 30-year-old to kick off his 2024 campaign still. Shelton the favorite, 2-0 in the career head-to-head, 72% favorite according to Tennis Abstract. I would expect him to get through. And I think we're in for a stellar final because I think Arthur Fee is playing elite tennis. He ultimately grinds his way to a first set over Daniel Altmaier. Altmaier forced to retire due to injury. Hopefully that's preventative more than anything else because he played a really high level this week in his win over Felix in round two. Played well against Giron in round one as well. Fee gets through. He's going to take on qualifier Alejandro Tabilo gifted a... Withdraw victory from Cam Norrie, who, again, hopefully pulling out of this event with injury more precautionary than anything else. Fees the favorite, 70.4% according to Tennis Abstract. I'll tell you what. Sign me up for Shelton versus Fee as a final. No disrespect to Daniel or Tabilo, for both of whom, obviously, this would be a massive result. Alejandro Tabilo, by the way, up 15 spots to number 67, three off his career high for the 26-year-old by reaching the semifinals here this week. Massive start to his campaign as well. But again, the totality of athleticism, explosiveness, speed, totality of things they do on the court you're going to see slices short angles down the line blasts outer third excellence like Sheldon Fee epitomized kind of everything that a modern athlete can do within this sport in terms of the skill sets the firepower they have on top of those skills as well Boy, it would be fun to watch those two do battle within the course of the first week of this uh, first two weeks of the season. And again, for Arthur Fee, a big moment for him to kick off his season quarterfinals in Hong Kong, semifinals in Auckland. Keep in mind this is a guy who in his career at the tour level, still just 37 total matches. He's now made the semifinals though, at seven different tour level events six if you want to take out the next gen finals so this is his sixth different tour level event where he's made the semifinals he's made the quarterfinals now at seven different tour level events as well I mean come on now the kids 19 years old I mean, it's a good start started the week at a career high of 35 obviously in reaching the semifinals he's up to a new career high of 34 in the live rankings again fee. Shelton, your two favorites entering the semifinals in Auckland right now. Ben Shelton, 45.9% favorite to win the event. Fee, 34%. After that, they actually give Taro Daniel the edge over Alejandro Tabilo for what it's worth. Those are the matches at the tour level you should keep your eye on and feel worth noting before the start of the Australian Open. It is also worth talking about some final round qualifying matches we have on the horizon in Australia as we've reached that portion of the qualifying rounds at the year's first major. You look on the women's side of things. Again, I will have Damien Koost hopefully on this show on Friday to break down all of the Australian Open qualifying results. But here are my favorite final round matchups. You've got Diana Yastremska. Feels like she's probably 24, 25 now. You look for Diana Uh She is currently still not on the rankings list I am looking at, but thankfully, due to technology, I can find her ranking very quickly, and Diana uh currently sitting at number 93 in the live rankings, still just 23 years old. She's in the final round of qualifying, fascinating match. She's going to take on 17-year-old Maya Joint. Maya Joint from my home state of Michigan, now represents Australia, a University of Texas commit Knocked out the 32 seed in round two. Again, the firepower of your Stremska, How does the 17-year-old handle it? If she gets through the main draw, she just has to be on your radar moving forward. That's a fascinating one. Katie volinets Julia Riera, two early 20s players, obviously, in the final round of qualifying who will do battle. That match is going to be a grind. Volleynets right now, 103 in the world, the 22-year-old American, ahead of Riera, the 21-year-old Argentinian, currently 122 in the world, would be a big opportunity for either to earn a main draw victory, give themselves a shot at a top 100 uh, entry to start this 2024 season. I love that one. The younger, Kudermatova, Polina, taking on Fiona Farrow. Again, two names I suppose casual fans will be f- more familiar with. You've got Brenda Fruvertova, maybe not even the best 16-year-old in the draw. Still alive in qualifying, but she is through to the final round. She'll take on way—how about Anna Bondar, the 11 seed, taking on Ali- uh, Alina Kornieva. Kornieva, two. Two junior slams last season. The 16-year-old's already top 200 in the world. She is excellent. Like, her and Brenda Fruvertova might be better than Mira Andriva. That's the crazy part. Three 16-year-olds who are just the real deal already. Again, Bondar and Driva. Put that on your must-watch list. If you're a college tennis fan, how about former Old Dominion standout Yulia Stardubseva taking on former Syracuse standout Gabriella Knutson, winner of that. Going to get into the main draw of this as well. There's plenty of other fun names littered throughout the final round qualifying. But again, Stardubseva, Knutson, Fruvertova versus Wei. Matova vs. Faro, Valinets vs. Riera, Yastrzemska joint. Those are probably the five women's final round qualifying I would pay most attention to. And then on the men's side, you got a bunch of fun final round qualifying as well. Aziz Dugas, former Florida State player. He's taking on young, talented Croatian Dino Prismic. You guys know my thoughts on the former junior French Open champion. I think he gets into the main draw and think he could do some B- damage. G- uh, Giovanni Pecci, Pericard, the big Frenchman, he's through to the final round of qualifying. My favorite matches, though, former Illinois All-American, seventh-seeded Alexander Kovacevic. He's still looking to make a top 100 breakthrough. He's taken on former top junior in the world, Shintaro Machizuki, two guys who make beautiful contact with the ball. How about David Goffin? That's right. He's playing qualifying now at Grand Slams. He's through the final round. He's going to take on former Kentucky All-American Gab Diallo. Diallo from a set-down, three-set win yesterday over pierre Bear. So it's been a tough qualifying draw already. But man, Gab gets through that again. When not if. He's going to make his top 100 debut. How about Abdullah Shelby, the former lefty? Florida didn't... Uh, Florida... Former Florida freshman left after one year... Couldn't crack the starting lineup on what was a loaded Florida roster that ultimately lost in the quarterfinals, but featured Ben Shelton at the number one single spot, former NCAA champion Sam Riffis at two. Guys like Duarte Valle, Andy Andrade, both top 500 players, three and four as well. Anyways, Abdullah Shelby, the lefty, coming off of a hot next-gen finals appearance. He beat next-gen finals champion Hamad Medvedevich in three sets yesterday, so he's through to the final round, taking on former junior U.S. Open champion Omar Jessica, who's back back Healthy, fit, three-set win over Zach Sfida. That's going to be a fun battle between lefties. Jessica versus Shelby, a sneaky one for the tennis nerds out there. Emilio Nava always a dangerous threat. He is through the final round of qualifying as is Zizou Burgs. How about former UVA number one, Alex Richard? He's taking on Zeppieri tomorrow. That's a fun one for everyone to keep an eye on. Oliver Crawford, another flor- flor- former Florida Gator, now representing Great Britain. He's through to the final round of qualifying as well. So plenty of names to keep an eye on uh, in that final round of qualifying. And again, we will hopefully have Damien Koost on this show tomorrow or in the near future to recap those qualifying results with more depth to discuss who stood out over the course of this opening major qualifying event. Last but not least, let's talk some challenger results here on this show. You look at the Buenos Aires challenger. Again, two of our quarterfinals set. Joao Fonseca going to take on Gianluca Magier. Tristan Boyer taking on Dimitri Popko. You look at the other results we are waiting for. We had Max Hooks win today. He's going to take on the winner of Olivo and Bueno. You also had a win earlier today from I believe whom? Whom else won earlier today? Um oh maybe Kruczek uh, takes on the winner of someone. Any oh no Kruček, Alves take on the winner ah, of Jao Lucas Reyes da Silva who got the win earlier today. So still Early in that Buenos Aires action over in Portugal, we have one of our semifinals set, Leandro Rady going to take on Gastel, Elias Rady, a former junior French Open finalist, a 3-2 and two win today, Elias 4-4 four and four on home soil, always so good. Uh, he advances to another semifinal you have in your top half quarterfinals, I believe, currently underway, third seeded Joe Sosa taking on the rising American Martin Dom. Dom's 30-9 and nine since the start of uh, September, or end of September. Here's the point he's been really or I think it's start of September the 20 year old American's making a move big lefty big weapons growing into his body one to watch for certainly another quarterfinal for him at the challenger level I believe he was up a set on Sosa when I last look at the scoreboard winner of that one going to take on the winner of top seed Alejandro Moro Canas and Maria Coppolis in an indoor hard court event where someone with Dom's weapons should always thrive so again Good to see him continuing his success from the end of last year. And then last but not least, if you're a college tennis fan, the Nantaburi Challengers that plays for you, former AM All-American Val Vashro looking to make it back-to-back Challenger titles this week, continues to ascend towards the top 200 and new career highs every week. He's taken on former Stanford standout Arthur Ferry. And again, right now, Ferry 269 in the live rankings. He could come back to school this year if he wanted to. Uh, He makes another challenger semifinal this week, hard to understand why he would if his goal is to be a pro player. Again, ultimately, right now, everything seems to be rocking and rolling. Vashro, by the way, at 201, new career high uh, for the 25-year-old. That's a fun semifinal. On the other half, it's Nagushi versus Guinard, the favorite right now to win the title, Arthur Ferry, 47%, according to Tennis Abstract. That's everything that feels worth noting happening this week on Tour. Now, again... We know the Australian Open's on the horizon. So it will be a two-podcast Thursday for all of you listeners here on the Mini Break feed. I will have Chris Otto joining me later to break down our top 10 podcasts. Power rankings entering the Australian Open men's singles competition of course starting tomorrow all of our Australian Open preview content can be housed over on the Great Shot podcast feed so if you haven't already make sure you go subscribe to that show so you don't miss out on anything of course a shout out and thank you as always to our super producer Daniel Westoff for the f*** of an editing job he does day in day out making all of our content possible here at Crack Rackets a shout out and thank you as well to the support we get from our dear friends at Tennis Point remember it's tennis-point.com the Promo code is CR fifteen for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. With that said, for our fantastic super producer Daniel Westoff our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host Alex Gruskin. You know what we say that's the break. Talk to you all tomorrow or later today. Thanks, everyone.